Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Not So Rare podcast. We have Taylor Lewis and I am Liz Beauvais, and we're here for our next iteration of Rare Disease Mythbusters. Um, for those of you that are just joining this little series that we have, we've been going off of a website from The Mighty that was written um, about 25 misconceptions about living with rare disease. And so we've been going through these, these quotes and we've been talking about who said the quotes and a little bit about our impact on the quotes. And so we're going to cover quotes 10 through 12 in this episode of this podcast. To start out, item number 10 is written by Anne Marie. And her quote is that we don't have good days where we can pretend to be like everyone else. Just because we are in pain doesn't mean we don't enjoy going out with friends, shopping, or being social. That's a tough, tough thing to say because it it definitely is impactful for both of us. Taylor, do you want to give a little bit of your insight around this item? Sure, absolutely. So that part of, I'll just break down the beginning of it, that we don't have good days where we can pretend to be like everyone else. I think like <laughs> I deserve an Oscar for my ability to like put on a face and act as though like I'm fine and there's a lot of days when I'm not, but I've kind of learned to adapt to like making sure my routine in the morning is a way where I'm getting ready for my day. And regardless of like how sick I'm feeling, I'm still like doing what I can um, to feel good and to kind of like fake it till you make it a bit. What about you, Liz? I think that that's really good way to put it is you don't want to come across as the person who's sick all the time. Um, You don't want to have to put that burden on your friends, your family, yourself. So I do feel like it inevitably means that you're, you're going to do the best that you can to make sure you look the best that you can at a given time. So that maybe that's making sure your hair is done, making sure you put on a little bit of makeup or you get a little bit more dressed up, especially on the days that you don't feel like it, because that always kind of puts you a little bit more in the mood to really be out there and enjoy your time with your friends. The second part, it'd probably be better if I didn't enjoy things like shopping and being social and going out because I'm sure, um, probably save a lot of money, but no, absolutely. Like we still enjoy all of those things. And I think like we've kind of learned to manage them. Like I know that when I've gone shopping with like my mom and sister before, like they may feel great, but like, I may need to take a break and sit down and get lunch somewhere like halfway through the day because, uh, just get a little bit more tired and things like that. But sometimes even just like getting an invite to do those things goes a long way with us. And I think like, sometimes it's hard to turn those down, but I think like getting that invite and having the option really helps because even though we don't know how we're going to do that day, like if we're feeling up to it, it can be the best thing for us. The one thing I will say is, and it takes a lot of effort to try to hide how awful you are feeling sometimes, that I often will have some really good days, but I try to put so much into those days that it might be two really good days. And then the third day, I just feel terrible. So like, even if I am having a good day, that doesn't mean I'm not going to have to deal with it later on in the week. Um, so I, I do find that I have to limit even how much I do on a good day in the hopes that it doesn't impact me later. And I think there's days that when there's stuff we want to do, we like really push ourselves. And 
I think that's very true with like when it comes to Disney, I could probably be having my worst day ever, but I'm still going to make it to that park. It could be an ugly start. I may be in the bathroom for a bit or having a slow go, but like there's just, there's something to be said for like trying to do what we can. And I think that correlates a lot to like our mentality and how we're able to to cope and have quality of life. I think one of the reasons why you and I get along so well, Tyler, is we know that we're both really trying to have that quality of life. We're both really pushing ourselves to have it, but also being able to connect to share some of the struggles with it. And so I, I am going to be the same way. I'm going to Disney in two months. I can't believe I'm so close. I'm really excited about it, but I, I know I'm going to have a great time, but like, I also know that I'm going to have to have to really pace myself to be able to get through the whole trip. Yeah. And that's something that's cool. So like, I don't know if we've really mentioned this on the podcast, but Liz and I are going to plan to go to Disney world in the springtime together, but it's funny, like planning this trip together versus like other trips I've taken because like, we're both just so aware about our needs and like the disease part of things. We're like, let's throw in like a midweek day where we just sit at the pool and relax. Like let's do the big parks the first days and then take a break. And it's like, it's so natural for us to talk about because like, we just know. It's so true. Um, so for those of you listening, I'm sure you're going to have plenty of Disney episodes about us in the future because we are psyched. And if you guys haven't check out one of my dearest friends, Emily Sullivan, she has a podcast called make it magical. And I was actually a guest, um, on her show towards the beginning. I can't think of the episode right now. Um, but I can link it in our description. If you want to check it out, if you are somebody who loves Disney, like we do, um, it's a really fun podcast. And Emily, if you're listening, thank you for all the support you've been giving to both Taylor and myself as we've gone through this podcast journey. Yeah. From number 11, we have that the treatment for a much more common disease could also work on a rare disease even if they only have one symptom in common, but completely different causes. And this is from Catherine O. In beginning, like the podcast today, Liz and I had to think about this one for a minute and like what it meant to us, because I think it could be taken and interpreted a few different ways. Liz, do you want to start out? Sure. And so I think that this is actually a really important thing for people to be aware of, um, If you're not someone that has a rare disease or someone in your family who doesn't have a rare disease, it's probably hard to imagine that there could be diseases out there that there's not treatment available or treatment made specifically for them. But what we've found in our care journeys is a lot of times medications might be repurposed. So they might think it might work one way for a certain type of a disease. And doctors, researchers, clinicians will look at that and say, well, this disease has this in common with that. Maybe this medication could help. So a lot of the medications that we've been on and a lot of other rare disease patients have been on have actually been repurposed to help fight these rare diseases. And I will admit that that's had its challenges and us connecting to communities before finding each other because 
when we look online and we go through Facebook at some of these particular medication type support groups, we're greeted with diseases that aren't our own. And they're kind of more the primary treatment source. And so when we ask questions, sometimes it's really difficult to relate to them and feel a a sense of welcome and acceptance from them because our issues are very different. We may experience a lot of the same things and how illness impacts our life, but as of like our symptoms and our actual disease, and quite honestly, like our end goal of why we're on the medication for a lot of them on our medication, it's survival mode with metastatic breast cancer. Whereas for Liz and I, it's like, how can we maintain stability to have a positive quality of life? Like, of course our disease can progress, but we're just at such different stages that it's, it's hard to relate. And I will say too, that, um, for the particular medication we're on, like you said, it's for metastatic breast cancer. A lot of what the research needed to be for that was related to people of a certain age or a certain demographic. And so thinking about it from our perspective as young adult women, there's questions we have about what the long-term effects of this medicine may or may not have. And it's really hard to even connect with these other groups because that's not what they're looking at it for. They're looking at it for, this will give me four more years of life. And Taylor and I are like, what will give us the best quality of life? What will get us to the life that we want to have with this disease? And so it is really hard because you can't even ask the question because you know, it's going to offend someone who's on it for a different reason. Yeah. And I definitely ran into that with fertility. And I think, I think it's unfortunate that it takes a bit to find your people right with rare disease, because I understand why somebody would be offended by that. I totally get that. I, I can understand where their feelings are, but I think that's like the component of why it's so important for us to come together and for us to like find our group because we all have these questions, but we need the right place in order to ask them and talk about them and process them that sometimes we're just not getting from these other, other diseases. And that's like the emotional side from being a patient, having a repurposed medicine. I think there's also you're taking it also from the medical side too, is the doctors treating those diseases are definitely treating completely different areas of the body or different, different purposes for treatment. So I think it's, and I, we're not clinicians and we're not researchers, so we can't really put a lot behind this, but I'm sure it's also frustrating within the medical community itself, because your patients are asking you questions that there's just not information out there that you can leverage. You're sort of creating your own research. It's interesting too, in my journey of adult care, when I haven't been at my specialists, when I give my doctors, I was trying to see an oncologist for infusions around here. And, and then I was with my PCP and so on and so forth. And the first thing that they always asked me when they had my medication list is, do you have breast cancer? And it's just interesting that like, that there are medications that treat such a vast amount of people and conditions, but it's just not rare disease. Isn't what's thought of. I think it's interesting that they can actually make that connection. Cause when I go through my medicine list, 
I have to end up spelling the medicine like 20 different times because they've never heard of it. And then they look it up and they're like, yeah, there's not a lot on here on this. And I was like, nope, I probably could have told you that. Yeah. I don't know. It's funny because yeah, every time I've had that instance, which is really interesting, although they have a computer in front of them. So that that also could be (laughs) kind of branching on that subject as well of number 11. How do you feel it's been for you? Like when this treatment was brought to your attention as possibly being effective for our disease. What did you think about the fact it was being used for something else? So the first time I saw, and we're talking about Alpelisib, if you haven't listened to any of other podcasts, that's what the medication we're on. The first time I saw it listed um, was in one of my first appointments and it was on a chart of potential research and drugs that were being done for our diseases. And it wasn't just our particular disease. It was a couple of different diseases. And it wasn't really described to me at that point that it was being repurposed from something else. Um, So I remember I went home and I Googled it like a good patient. I Google everything. And, And I was really confused that it kept showing up as a, as a chemotherapy or as an oncology drug. And I think that that in itself had like a stigma to it of, is this even something I want to consider? Like, what is this? How do you even take it? Is it infusion or non-infusion? Like what, what is this? And it, it was really hard to like connect it to things that I didn't personally have because it was hard to see what would this do for me? And what would this be like if I was on this? Cause I knew it wouldn't be the same dose. It wouldn't be the exact same treatment that these other patients were on. It was just really hard for me to even think what that would look like. I think there was a level of that too. And I talked to my therapist about this before I had started the medication of like, all of a sudden I kind of understood my disease was more intense and and bigger causing than I once had kind of like categorized it into. Like for some reason, the stigma of like a chemotherapy, just, you know, from having people in my family with cancer and whatnot, like it carried a weight with it that was honestly challenging to emotionally try and overcome. And I think it's so easy for you to look at your disease and say, well, I'm doing okay. You know, I made it through the day. Yeah. It was a little rough, but it was fine. Like, I don't think I ever look at myself as being limited. Um, and I don't know if that's just me or I just haven't gotten to that level of acceptance yet, but I, it's hard when you are thrown into comparing it to something else that you personally might think of as limiting as cancer has always had that stigma to me. So being thrown into this, well, it's the same medicine used for that. Like, what does that mean about me? Like, what does that mean about what my future will be? What does that mean about why I'm going down this path? It's so interesting too, because I had brought up a question about fatigue and in the metastatic support group and just starting out, we're not throwing shade to that group. I just want to make that very clear. I appreciate all their guidance and wisdom, but I had asked a question about, you know, fatigue and how people were managing, like working with it and what were some tips that were helping them and what kind of helped them cope to get through that. And every response I have is you're working on this medication and like absolute surprise. 
And so like, for me, I was like, well, of course I'm working on this medication. Like that's, that's my goal. And it almost like validated that it was difficult for me during my work days. Like it, it made it like, okay, like you are feeling the fatigue from this medicine and that's okay. But it also like makes me continue to want to like push further and continue to want to like be career oriented because like, I feel with our disease, I've let a lot of things go and like, we've dealt with a lot of loss in different areas, but like, there's always something new. And like, I don't think I would feel this way about my career now. Um, you know, I was, my focus was elsewhere and it's, it's changed a lot, but like now it's really important to me. And I think that by living over the journey that we've let led these last few years with our disease, it really helps me really appreciate how far I've come in my career. Like I, I, I really appreciate that I made it this far and who knows, um, I'd love to be a director. I'd love to be an executive in my company, but I'm also very grateful that I made it here. Whereas I want to say five years ago, I was really gunning for those promotions. I was really like, this is what I need. Why don't I have it now? It's kind of refreshing to, to kind of let my career go the way it's going and just kind of do my best each day and hope that it's good enough for the next level. And if it's not, this is where I land. And I'm honestly perfectly okay with that. Yeah. I think we've learned balance through all of this and we've had to realize like rare disease makes you spread thin, whether it's managing doctor's appointments, social relationships, work, school, we've talked about everything regarding that pretty much. Um, but we're being pulled in all these different directions. And at some point, I think there's part of you that just goes, I'm doing what I can. I'm doing a good job. Like I'm doing what I want to do and like, just kind of have to let it be. Okay. Are we ready to move on to the, to our last one for today? Yes, we are. Okay. So our last one is number 12 and it was, um, submitted by Allie. And Allie said, people think that if I'm smiling and seemingly happy, I'm not in pain. They assume I'm all better when in reality, I'm dying on the inside and just want to go back to bed. Honestly, Allie, I feel like I try to be positive in just about anything. I think even my doctors would say, like, I come in with a smile and I come in with energy. I just try to bring my best foot forward. And maybe that's fake. Maybe it's too much energy and enthusiasm. but for me, that is what keeps things interesting, keeps things going. I, if I didn't bring that, I would end up in this like deep spiral and I would rather bring the energy and excitement and happiness than have to just sit there and be unhappy. What's so interesting about this is like Dr. Hamill, if you're listening, <laughs> you'll understand this, but sometimes I don't think I feel the pain and I feel the severity of what it does to my life until I'm in front of my doctor and she's asking the difficult questions. She's asking like how something is like truly impacting me. And there's been times I've just like broken down and cried to her. And it's like, I've gone, you know, the whole month keeping everything together, like keeping smiling, keeping happy. Um, well, quote unquote happy. Right. Um, and then you get in front of the people that you, you know, deal with this so intimately 
And I think it just kind of comes all flooding out. Thankfully, like I've talked about before, now that I'm been, you know, regularly going to therapy, that's been a really good release of emotions for me. Um, but I would say I hold it together pretty good until somebody asks me just the right question. And then I notice I can break down pretty easy. I also think that that goes to show that your doctor has helped create that safe space for that. I think it probably took me a good half a year plus before I I got there with my doctors, but I think that's also because we've grown to hold it back so much from our family, from our friends, from ourselves that we, we know to put up the shield because that is what we need to do. And it's, it's hard to bring that down once you've trained yourself to put that up. Part of it's like, if I ignore it, is it just going to go away? Like almost like hoping, like, I'm going to put this to the side and like lock this box up and deal with this trauma later. but unless you like, unless you open it up and you deal with it and you talk to somebody about it, like it's always going to be there. At least from, you know, my experience, I can't speak for everybody. Everybody copes differently, but, um, I've had to like open up those boxes and, and deal with the emotional, physical pain to be in, a positive place and approach it in a way where I can be truly happy and smiling authentically. I think what has also really helped me, and I know we've said it countless times, so I apologize if you're getting bored of this comment, but finding your people, finding someone that like you don't have to put the lens up for. So that way you can really start to think it's how you're really feeling about things. Someone who will just listen and have no judgment whatsoever has really helped me accept that too. And I think that's also helped me really be able to open up to others as well as once I've opened up to one person and realized it was safe and it wasn't terrible. I was able to open to other people. I was able to talk to you all on this podcast, but I think it's also really hard to get yourself to a place that to know that it's okay to share yourself because I do think we all hide ourselves under this exciting and happy and enthusiastic umbrella that we all bring into our everyday lives. Yeah. It just makes me laugh about what I've shared with you today. Um, just this morning, even like there's certain things that you just don't share with people, but I was like, Liz will understand. And it was literally my stomach before and two hours later after taking my medication, like how much I bloated in such a short period of time. And I was like, this is not normal, but I'm like, it'll give me a good laugh. And then right before we started this, I, um, showed Liz my pelvic MRI. So that was was thrown in there. I was like, Oh, that's that slide. Well, here you go. (laughs) Yes. Um, if there was ever a video camera watching how we prepare for these things, I think you would not believe the conversations we have. But it's also been so refreshing to know that it's okay to have those conversations. Like, clearly I saw more of Taylor's MRI than I think I ever seen on mine because I've never gone through the images that far. But at the same time, we're looking at it from like a supportive manner and we're helping each other understand what things are being said. So I think that it's what we have created has been very healthy for both of us. I'm sure an outside person would just think we're insane though. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Even like our presentation of how we get started for these podcasts, like 
and we get asked all the time, is there an outline? Like, are there questions? And we're like, no, we're just winging it. And that's kind of how we've approached this whole thing. But I think it's doing good. And I'm thankful every day we see our listeners and um, just talk with you guys and and connect in that way. But I want to thank everyone for joining us today. This has been the Not So Rare Podcast.